Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Thursday, June 24th. And I must mention, Ray reminded me before, and Ray, I saw your email. Um, uh, there was a uh, just a, a terrible tragedy that happened this morning in, in Florida. I don't know if you saw this in Miami, where um, a building, a condo building collapsed, and or part of the condo building collapsed, the big building. And there were many people inside. And um, I haven't checked the news recently, but I know that there were many people injured. There was, as of this morning, there was one person that unfortunately lost their lives. And I know there are many Jews that live there in the building as well. And um, we have a list of names to dedicate this class to for a refuah for a healing. Um, Malka Basara Rachel. Yisrael Tzvi Yosef ben Toiba, Tzvi Daniel ben Yehudas, Ita bas Miriam, Esther bas Linda, Moshe ben Toba, Moshe ben Shoshana, Ari Lei ben Ita, Lane ben Ilana, Label ben Fegarivka, Ruth bas Sara, and Chaim ben Sara, um, and any others that need a Rufu Shlema should have an immediate Rufu Shlema or Kreva healing and comfort for all of those who have suffered with this tragedy. And uh, may, we, may we know of no more tragedy. It's, a, it's, it's enough tragedy in this world. And um, it, 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 it hits and it hurts, no matter who it happens to. Of course, when it happens to the family, when it happens to brothers and sisters, of course, it's, uh, it's, it's most acutely painful. But praying for all of those that need healing to have healing, all of those that, had, that lost loved ones to, to find comfort and for the world to indeed be in a better place. All right, so we're dedicating the learning in, order, um, in, in honor of all of those that need a blessing in this, uh, in this moment. All right, we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Balak, a very colorful Torah portion. I'm going to share my screen and we're going to jump in. So yesterday we covered the... Fourth reading, right? We covered the fourth reading, yes. Maybe third and fourth readings. Today, we're going to focus on reading number five. This is Balak's, sorry, Balaam's second attempt at cursing the Jewish people. If you recall, he was hired to curse. He consulted with Hashem. Hashem said, don't, but I want to. Go, fine, go. But I'm going to put a donkey, I'm going to put an angel in front of your donkey. All of that fiasco just to kind of humble Balaam. And then as Balaam tries, he's trying his best to find an angle to curse the Jewish people. He has an altar built, seven animals, actually 14 animals and the seven altars. He sneaks off to a place to get this divine, divine um, inspiration. But as he opens his mouth, out come blessings. So he tries again. This takes us to Numbers chapter 23, verse 13. Balak the king said to him, Balaam the evil prophet, come with me to another place from where you will see them, them the Jewish people. However, you will see only a part of them, not all of them, and curse them for me from there. Yet, and you may, have rec you may recognize this language from yesterday where they also went up to a high place. I think it was on top of a mountain. And they were overlooking the Jewish people, but only part of the Jewish people. And the idea is, it's kind of like when you look at somebody with like the side eye, it's kind of like not a full glance, but like a side glance, like a partial glance. 
That's kind of what this is. It's like the ayin hara, the evil eye, like a, a partial look. It's about trying to um, summon some sort of evil thoughts or evil, you know, um, voodoo or whatever you call it on the Jewish people, God forbid. So that is the plan. So here's what happened. Um, so the king took the prophet. He took him to the field of the lookouts. That's what it was called, the field of the lookouts. Now, if you, if you know anything about lookouts, lookout, the whole point of a lookout is that you can look out and see a vast distance. So usually a lookout is going to be on a high elevated place, which indeed it is. So there was a fee, it's called the field of lookouts, which was to the peak of the mountain. So he took him on top of another mountain to a field called the field of lookouts. And he built seven altars and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar, like what happened before. Like the first time, same deal, trying to replicate it, but get a different outcome. So he said to Balak, um, the prophet, Balaam, said to Balak, the king, stand here next to your burnt offering, and I will be chanced on here. So he says, you wait here, and I'm going to wait for divine inspiration. Well, so it was the Lord chanced upon Balaam. And I love that chanced upon, chanced upon. It's kind of like, you know, God stumbled upon Balaam. Oh, hey, how's it going? Vayikar. Um, the, the book of Leviticus is called Vayikra. Same word in Hebrew. You can see it right here in the Hebrew side, Vayikar. It's um, Vayikra has an extra aleph at the end. Vayikra. So the difference between Moses and Balaam is an aleph, one letter. Aleph is the first letter, and it reminds us of Aleph is one, first letter, number one, reminds us of the one God. The difference between Moses and Balaam is reverence to Hashem, an awe of God, a fear of God. Mo Moses, Moshe had it, Balaam did not have it. And that makes a difference, that, that makes all the difference in the world between whether God is calling you or chancing upon you, right? It just so happened that God met up with Balaam versus God calling Vayikra, God called Moses this is an insight by Yikra by Yikar that I mentioned at the beginning of the book of Leviticus, but here's where it comes full circle with this reference to Balaam. All right, so the Lord chanced upon Balaam and placed something into his mouth. He said, God said to him, return to Balaam, go back to the king, and so you shall speak. When he came to him, he was standing next to his burnt offering, and the Moabite dignitaries were with him. And Balak said to him, to the prophet, no, what did the Lord speak? I added the new. But what did God say? He took up his parable, right? Because he spoke in like mysterious language. He took up his parable and said, Arise, Balak, and hear. Listen closely to me, son of Tzipar. Balak's father was Tzipar. So he says, Get up, Balak. This is not so respectful. He's the king, right? But arise, Balak. Listen closely to me and hear. Listen close to me, son of Tzipar. Listen to this. Listen to this line. Verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. You know, human beings say one thing and change their mind or, you know, human beings lie. Human beings are dishonest. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor is he a mortal that he should relent. Would he say and not do, speak and not fulfill? When it comes, let me, I'm stopping, I'm jumping in for a second. When it comes to human beings, we know this. We say something, we don't deliver. We say something, 
and we lie. Is it is it like intentional? Is it malicious? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just, you know, I tried. I wasn't able to do it. But can we say that about God? Is God a liar? Is God mortal? Is God unable to follow through with what he wants? Of course not. What he's alluding to is the fact that God has chosen the Jewish people. So what, and God has said to Abraham, I will bless your descendants. So what do you want me to do? You want me to curse them? God already said that he's going to bless them. You think God is changing his mind? You think that by hiring me, paying me good money, that God has got something to say, you know what? I changed my mind. Go ahead and curse the Jewish people. Or, um, you know what? I was lying. When I said blessing and promises and Israel and all that stuff to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and to Moses, eh, I was lying. You know what? Balaam, go ahead and curse them. God forbid, right? It's not going to happen. So the prophet is telling the king, right? You're a fool, essentially. Who do you think God is? A human being? God's not going not, not gonna to be consistent? I have, verse 20, I have received an instruction to bless. By the way, he did. Before he went out, if you recall, there was a message either from the angel in front of the donkey or from God himself. I forget. I, it was like yesterday, two days ago, where the message was, you can go, but you're not going to be able to curse them, only bless them. So he says, oh. I received an instruction to bless. Has he changed his perspective then? You know what's crazy? My understanding is, that he's not in control of what he's saying. Right. So the words coming out of his mouth seem like very, I'm going to use a modern term, woke, like very, um, like, like he's, like he's got it. But based on what we know he did right after this, I mean, like right after this episode, this entire episode, he wasn't transformed. This was just a communication. It's almost like God speaking through him. But it's in his, it, but it's coming from him. So it sounds like, oh, so the dude gets it. So he doesn't hate Jews anymore, right? E, not exactly. I'm going to tell you, not today, tomorrow, I'll tell you um, the aftermath of this story. He did not change his stripes. Um, I have received instruction to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot retract it. Listen to this. It gets better. He does not look at evil in Jacob. And has seen no perversity in Israel. I'm going to stop here for a second. It doesn't mean that the Jewish people don't do anything wrong. But it's that God does not look at evil in Jacob or see perversity in Israel. I'll give you an example. I feel like I said this example recently. I don't remember when or where. At a class or an event. When a person's in love. So... There's a there's a, a a verse maybe in Proverbs somewhere else. It says Ava Techasa. I forget I forget the Hebrew. Essentially, the translation is or the meaning is love covers all blemishes. Right when you're in love, everything looks fine. Not that you don't see it, but you see it, but you automatically reframe it. It's like you see it, but it's not so bad because X, Y, and Z, because you love. You know what? Let me pause here for a moment and develop this idea because it's a very important idea. The Torah says, love your fellow as yourself. 
Kamocha, love your fellow as yourself. What does that mean? So the Tzemach Tzedek, the, the third Chabad Rebbe, lived a few hundred years ago. He has a beautiful discourse, mystical text, explaining this mitzvah, how to love your fellows yourself. And he uses the following idea. He, he shares the following idea. He says, how do you love yourself? What does it mean that you love yourself? Or how does that self-love express itself practically? He says, one way that it expresses itself is that even though you know that you have this flaw, you made this mistake, you fell short on that occasion, even though you know that about yourself, a person with healthy self-love, obviously it's possible that a person could have a very low self-esteem and it's possible, it's possible, but a healthy person, a person with healthy self-esteem and healthy self-love will not be all bent out of shape about their own shortcomings. They'll say, all right, I tried. They'll let themselves off the hook, right? We let ourselves off the hook. We say, you know, it's not so bad. I meant well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. Even though this, that, or the other, I'm still a good person. Let me rewind a half a second and, and ask you the following question. Have you ever had an experience where somebody criticized you and you knew they were right, they actually were correct, but you were still very offended? Has that ever happened? Right. Somebody criticizes you and you feel yourself like uh, reacting very defensively and negatively. And in your mind, it's like, how dare you? That's horrible. But at the same time, they're actually right. So how does that make sense? Like if they're right, so then why are you getting all you know worked up about it? In other words, it, you also know that that's a problem. So you know it and they know it. So they said it. So what's the big deal? The reason why it's a big deal is because when they see it, that's all they see. They define you by that flaw. And that hurts because when you see the flaw, the same flaw, it's in a much bigger context. It's I'm a good person who also sometimes struggles with this. Whereas they say, that's what you are. You are a flaw. You are that flaw. That hurts. So, which brings me back to my point. What is self-love? What does that do for us? It covers over, it glosses over, it puts a nice shine onto the flaws. Um, well, it covers over the flaws. Maybe a, a haze over the flaws. So instead of being so stark and so painful and so, you know, out there, it's more in a context. So the Torah tells us, love your fellow as yourself. Just like you don't reduce yourself, your own self-image. To your flaws and shortcomings, you see yourself as a beautiful person, as a good person, as a divine being, as a piece of God with a soul who also happens to sometimes whatever it is, right? So just like you do that for you, extend the same love and courtesy to your fellow. Love your fellow as yourself, which means when you see a fault, a shortcoming, a flaw, a mistake, whatever, in your fellow... Say, I know you're a good person, I love you, and I also see a flaw, no big deal. So that's what it means that God, back to our verse, that God does not see, um, let me just go back to the actual verse so we, we quote it correctly. It says, he does not look at evil in Jacob. Not that there is no evil in Jacob, but he doesn't look at it. It's covered over by love. 
and he's seen no perversity in Israel. Not that there is no perversity. There's no, not that there is no wrong, but he doesn't see it. Just like you and I don't see our own flaws. Oh no, but we know it. We don't see it. You don't like call it out and see it. So too, that's how Hashem looks at us. This is from the, from the mouth of the evil prophet. You want God to curse? Are you kidding me? Curse the Jewish people, God forbid? Not happening. He doesn't, he doesn't look at evil in Jacob. He sees no perversity in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him. The Lord, his God, the Jews' God, is with him, is with the Jewish people. And he has, the Jew has, the king's friendship. Remember, he's speaking straight to the king. Remember, he said, arise, Balak, and hear. Listen closely to me, son of Tzipor. He's saying, you need to hear this. You want me to curse? Ain't happening. Let's continue. God has brought them out of Egypt with the strength of his loftiness. For there is no divination in Jacob. That's powerful. Divination means um, sorcery. Um, you know, like... Um, palm reading and fortune telling and sorcery and black magic and basically any other type of magical, mystical, spiritual forces. There's none of that. It's a direct connection, right? It's a direct connection between the Jewish people and God. There's no divination in Jacob and no soothsaying in Israel. In time, it will be said to Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? I'm gonna, we're going to explain this in a second, that last little piece. Um, behold, a people that rises like a lioness. That's C. Malbim. I don't know why it's there. That's like a, that's not a translation. Malbim is a commentary. That's a, that's very strange that it should be right in the middle. Of, I'm assuming they copied this translation from somewhere and forgot to edit that piece out because that should not be in a, in, a, in a, especially without being linked if it's a website, whatever. Um, Behold, a people that rises like a lioness and raises itself like a lion. I'll explain that as well. It does not lie down until it eats its prey and drinks the blood of the slain. That's referring to the might and the power of the Jewish people. This is the second attempt of Balaam. That's end quotes, right? The, the quotation mark and the quote, the quote ends there. This is the second attempt of the prophet to curse the Jewish people. And it turns out to be a beautiful, beautiful blessing of the Jewish people about God's love, a relationship with God, and the might and the power of the Jewish people. So once again, the king Balak said to Balaam, you shall neither curse them nor shall you bless them. What are you doing? You're killing me, right? If you can't curse them, then don't bless them. Don't do anything. Balak answered and, Balaam answered and said to Balak, have I not spoken to you saying everything the Lord speaks that I shall do, right? Did I not tell you this from the beginning that I can only say what God wants me to say? And that's how the second attempt ends once again in spectacular failure so let's go back i think i think we were pretty clear most of the way through i want to toggle some rashis okay there are some rashis that are important to see okay um when he said arise balak Since he saw that he was mocking him, he intended to taunt him, stand on your feet, you have no right to sit, for I've been sent to you as an emissary of the omnipresent. Apparently, there was a little bit of friction between the two parties, Balak the king and Balaam the, the prophet. 
there's a little bit of back and forth kind of underlying the story. Um, look at this. God is not a man that he should lie. So Rashi says it's not only about them being blessed, but about entering the land of Israel. God has already promised them to bring them to and give them possession of the land of the seven nations, i.e. Israel. And you expect to kill them in the desert, right? What do you want? You want me to curse them so that you kill them, so that they don't enter Israel. You think that's going to happen? God already promised. God doesn't lie. Um, okay, let's continue. Let's get to what I wanted to show you before. Hold on. What has God wrought? Okay. Um, okay. First of all, divination. They're, they are worthy of blessing since there are no diviners or soothsayers among them because Jews do not practice any, source, any sort of um, other types of um, consulting with you know, spiritual forces. It will be said to Jacob and Israel, here we go, there will come another time like this. When the love God has for them will be revealed to all, for they will be seated before him and learn Torah from his mouth. Their place will be further and closer to the divine presence and the ministering angels. They will ask them, what has God wrought? This is the meaning of what it is stated. Your eyes shall behold your teacher. In other words, this is referring to the messianic era. This is another time when God will teach us Torah, etc., um, that is a reference to your eyes shall behold your teacher. That's a messianic prophecy from Isaiah. Another interpretation, the phrase, say to Jacob, or it will be said to Jacob, is not in the future tense. It shall be said to Jacob, but in the present tense. Thus, the meaning is, they have no need for a diviner or sorcerer. Why? For at any time it is necessary to tell Jacob and Israel what God has wrought and what decrees he enacted on high, they do not need diviners or soothsayers, but the decrees of the omnipresent transmitted to them through their prophets, or the Urim and Tumim inform them. This is very important. I like the second um, explanation because it explains the flow of the verse. There is no divination in Jacob and no soothsaying in Israel. Jews do not have connections through intermediaries. Rather, in time of said to Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought when... Again, it will be said, sounds like the future, but the second interpretation is that when the Jews wonder what has God wrought or what has God, what's going on, what's, what's God doing or what does God want, they, they're able to get the answer directly from God through the prophets or, or the, um, or the Urim and Tum. The Urim and Tumim was, of course, you know what the Urim and Tumim is, right? It's the breastplate. It's the Choshen. It's the breastplate. That was our first jewelry um, thing, Right. Yes. Unclus, however, does not render in this manner. Unclus renders for the diviners do not wish that good should be bestowed upon Jacob, nor do soothsayers desire the greatness of Israel. At this time, will be told to Jacob what God has wrought. Okay. Different, three different interpretations. Either way, this is verse 23. Now, here we go. Take a look. At, take a look at this one. Take a look at this one. Behold, a people that rises like a lioness. What does that mean? Rises like a lioness. What does that mean? So Rashi says, when they awaken from their sleep in the morning, they show the vigor of a lioness and a lion in grasping mitzvot, right? Like when a lion wakes up in the morning, it's ready to hunt, ready for the kill. So what, what does a Jew do in the morning? You grab a mitzvah, put on a talit, prayer shawl, reset the shema, put on tefillin, whatever it is, a moda'ani, a, a negavaser, a, a dime hand washing, prayer, tefillin, talis, what, whatever the mitzvah is, we wake up in the morning and jump into it like a lion. In fact, um, the Kitzer Shochanarach, the abridged version, the shorter version of the Code of Jewish Law says that in the morning, 
we should wake up like a lion. Yiskaber Kari, we should, we should wake up, we should be strong like a lion. It's easy to hit snooze and roll back in bed, but a lion doesn't hit snooze. Although I was, my wife is from South Africa, as you guys know, and we did go to Kruger National Park, which is the big game reserve. And I did see a lot of lions lying down. I will say that. I will say that there were some lions hitting snooze. But in our context, if it's hungry, it's not lying down, it gets up, does its thing. We should do the same thing not to destroy or devour, God forbid, but to grab a mitzvah. Um, okay. Here we go. Oh, this is this is powerful. Um, it does not lie down um, until it eats its prey. What does that mean? So a Jew does not lie down on his bed at night until he consumes and destroys any harmful thing that comes to tear him. What does that mean? How so? He recites the Shema on his bed and entrusts his spirit to the hand of the omnipresent. So what that means is that we don't go to sleep at night without just getting rid of negativity and entrusting our soul to the Almighty, to God. I would also add, and I know Rashi doesn't say it here clearly, there's a beautiful prayer. One of the, my opinion, one of the most beautiful prayers. Every night before the bedtime Shema, we say, Master of the Universe, I hereby, we say before God, God Almighty, Master of the Universe, I hereby forgive, I forgive anyone who has angered me or harmed me or done anything wrong to me today in this lifetime or in any other lifetime. It's basically a prayer about letting go. And it allows us to go to sleep at night without any tension, without any baggage, without any like unfinished business. Yeah, of course, tomorrow there's more things to do, but without that anger, they say that resentment, you know, being resentful is like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. At the end of the day, resentment hurts us inside. Anger, you know, stewing with anger, like I can't believe they said that they did that, you know, so rude or so that hurts us. That hurts us more than hurt. the stuff in our head hurts and our heart hurts us more than it hurts them. So we don't go to sleep at night before getting away of, before dissipating the negativity and entrusting our spirit to God. Should an army or troop back inside, should an army or troop come to harm them, the Holy One, blessed be he, protects them, fights their bowels and strikes them down dead. Um Another interpretation, behold, the people that rise like a lioness is the Targum renders it, namely, it will not settle into its land until it destroys the enemy and takes possession of the land of the nations. Okay. Drinks the blood of the slain. So he prophesied that Moses would not die until he would strike down the Midianite king's dead, and he, Balaam, would be slain with them. As it says, Balaam, the son of Bar, and the, the soothsayer, did, uh, did the children of Israel slay? Oh, the children of Israel slay Balaam, the son of Bar, the soothsayer, with the sword, with those who were slain by them. That's later on in the book of joshua okay that's a lot of information there it's fine i went through that very quickly but the point is that this prophecy is very powerful and very um praiseworthy of the jewish people praising their connection to god and their strength um and the king says what are you doing you're killing me here and the, and the prophet answers i told you already i can't do anything that god doesn't want me to do i want to share with you one more thing one more insight about a lion and a lioness I think it's very important. I want to, let me toggle Rashi off so that it's a little bit easier to read. Okay. Rises like a lion and raises itself like a lion. Or lioness and lion. What is that? So I want to give you another, another angle on this. Hey, Mark. Welcome. Oh, Mark. 
Nice. There's a hole in your car, top of your car. Hey, Mark. All right. So what does it mean that, that we rise like a lioness and raise itself like a lion? Um, crouching tiger, hidden lion. Okay, I'm just paraphrasing here for a second. The idea of a lion is even when a lion is lying down, you don't want to poke it, right? Probably a bad idea. Probably bad. Like, oh, it looks so restful. It looks so sleepy. It looks so tired. Let me go ahead and just start like combing its mane. Bad idea, my friend, because you know what? In a second, it raises itself like a lion. A lion raises itself with strength and might and glory in a second, even if it was sleeping. And on a deeper level, the same thing is true with us, with you and I. We have a soul inside. And even when it seems like it's a little bit sloughing, a little bit sleepy, at any moment, it can rise up in its full strength, full, full passion. We've seen this historically over the years, right? A Jew who maybe eh, not the most committed Jew, not the most, you know, um, not the first one in synagogue, whatever. But push comes to shove. You poke the lion. That's it. Beware. The Jew comes out. The spirit comes out, right? It doesn't matter, you know. It's like the, the rabbi who says to the congregant on the high holidays or to the fellow who shows up on the high holidays for the first time in a year, he says, I want you to join the army of God. Come to Shul. He says, Rabbi, I'm going to stay home. Typically during the year, I'm in the secret service. But even the guy in the secret service, right? That was a joke. Even the guy in the secret service, you poke a little too much, and that's it. So that's what it means. The people that rise like a lioness and raise itself like a lion, it means that the Jewish spirit, even if it seems a little quiet, even if it seems a little, seems a little dormant, is never gone. It's always there, ready to come out. And it's uh, we shouldn't wait to be poked. We should evoke it on our own and bring out our strength, commitment, love, and dedication to making this world a better place using the tools that we have with Torah and mitzvot. All right, that concludes it for today. Mark, I see you driving. Don't look at the phone. No, you're good. I just want to say this. I Be careful. You have a hole in your car. Just, just so you know, you may want to deal, you might, might want to just figure out what happened to the roof. Um, first of all, second of all, that was a joke. Second of all, just based on the Zoom thing, it looks like those movies where they have a fake, you know, the car and they're just the background moves. And although you're frozen now, which is a fantastic freeze, um, nonetheless, it kind of looks completely fake. I'm just going to, I would feel just more, just, it would brighten my day to think that you're in a studio somewhere with some sort of green screen background, just, you know, driving down the road. Anyway, um, Mark, safe travels. Olia, Donna, Ray, it's great to see you guys. We pray for that, for the health and the welfare of all those that were, affected by today's uh by the building collapse early this morning donna go ahead yeah i located the website for the retreat j retreat national yeah. Retreat. yeah what do you think nice yeah exciting amazing yeah. so they just started putting this together a few weeks ago they're yeah. whatever it's they're a little bit late on the game which is fine yeah. Yeah. um but they're looking for for stuff for workshops oh. so i am going to Right after this, I'm going to uh, give a call over and um, and plug. Nice. I appreciate it. Oh, and I, th I realized what you, I said about my 
Pond City Market, I said, I'm there the last Wednesday of every month. Yeah, that's when I thought it was the last <laughs> Wednesday of it. Hence my, there's a few more hence last my statement, oh, it's over and you so, just had a great day, etc. And you're Wednesday. like, why is it over? And I'm like, I have no idea why. Why did I think that? <laughs> I can't even remember why I thought that. But right. thank you for tracing that so that I don't feel Right. as crazy as I might actually be. And then I'd right. like to think of a theme for Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. I would think of a high holiday theme. I'm going to pitch it to them as that. So you have to now cover it. I'm kidding. You can always tell them you don't have it, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that angle right now in, the, in my conversation. Perfect. All right. Um, Ray, Donna, Olia, Mark. Mark, you yeah, still have a cool. I want to be driving somewhere. That's so cool. All right. We'll see you guys. Oh, no, Take wait. care. <laughs> have you. a great day.